0: It is that time again, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to try not to breach this microphone like I do every week. And I think I need to invest in a better pop shield because all the previous ones have been like, <laughs> but it happens. Anyway, I'm really excited about doing this glorious film. I saw this, in the, the only time I've seen this film was in the cinema when it came out. I bloody loved it, um, I don't care if you didn't, because I did, and my opinion, the only one that matters, <laughs> uh, no, I really loved it, um, so I've been really looking forward to doing this, um, podcast analysis on it, uh, let's just get into it, because why waste time, um, uh, once again, of course, I'm wearing headphones to stop you guys hearing the noises of the film, the noises of the film, <laughs> whatever, um, for legal reasons, and oh, yeah, let's go. This is a really cool intro, because there's a there's a lot going on, despite the fact that, you know, uh, we're not... Okay, let me start again. <laughs> so obviously it's like, you know, someone sort of spying on, you know, this family from a distance, uh, and we have that kind of, is it the Ave Maria soundtrack, the kind of operatic soundtrack um which gives us a kind of almost a sense of like um sort of upper class sophistication that you would associate with you know opera or classical music and with uh we where this is obviously set in Gotham City if you know anything about Batman I'm assuming you're at least somewhat into Batman if you're listening to this podcast about the film Batman um then what was my point oh yeah one of the big things in gotham is the sort of disparity between um like rich and poor uh or the classes at least so it kind of gives us that edge and then we can hear this like creepy heavy breathing over the top so you know we have the audio of the the music but then the audio of the heavy breathing over the top of basically putting us in the shoes of the person that we're uh you know that we're seeing the lens through oh my god that was such a bad sentence you get what I mean (laughs) we're looking through this binocular thing and, and that's apparent to the audience just based on the sort of um blurring of the four corners and then the two bits there in the middle it's all been a bit sort of blurred out um anyway I'm gonna carry on because basically this is well constructed okay it's doing enough with the visuals and the sounds and everything it's well constructed to sort of let us know what's going on um actually just a quick note on the whole like comic book thing I know there's a lot of like diehard uh comic book fans that you know the the comic book like text to them is so sacred that all they want to do is you know, poke holes in anything. Um, I'm not looking at this film through the lens of how comic book accurate is it, um, this, that and the other. I'm looking at it from the lens of what makes this a good film, you know. Yeah, it's nice when a film is faithful to to its source material, but that's not the purpose of this podcast. Having said that, though, one of the things I do love about this film is Batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective, right? And I feel like this is really the first film to fully lean into the detective side of of Batman. Like, yeah, Christopher Nolan's one did it a bit with, like, trying to track down the Joker using that, like, sonar thing with the mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. And it is in a lot of the other films, you know, the Tim Burton one and all that, but this is the first film where it's, like, it really leans into the whole detective side of it. Anyway, let's carry on. See, coming up here is one of the, one of the elements that the first time I saw this film really stood out to me, and like, uh, I I remembered it afterwards. You know, um, it lingered in thought, and yeah, well, I'll I'll get to it in a minute. But obviously, just bear in mind that he's stood here filling the entire frame. Right, we can't see anything happening behind him. Bam. This bloke was stood behind him the whole time. I say this bloke. The Riddler. He was stood behind him the whole time. Um, I just remember being really creeped out the first time I saw that. Because it's, it's relatively unexpected. Because although we know that he's, you know, sort of watching him and stalking him, we haven't... It hasn't been suggested yet that he's made his way inside the house. So I really like... It's really simple. Just to block him in shot and then reveal him afterwards with there's a lighting flicker and stuff to reveal him it's just it's simple but it's very effective and then this bit here to sort of just focus solely on the riddler and have the the man walk across the frame out of focus uh at the front sort of thing um at the foreground uh it that is sort of just putting all of the um what do you call it oh my god dudes i should not have started this podcast today i can't even get my thoughts together Uh, words things anyway it's it's letting the audience know that the riddler is the focal point of this scene he's the important one in this scene so from the whole for the whole thing it's been from his perspective it starts with the binoculars from his perspective and now that he's in the same room as this other guy he's now the focus of it not the other guy and we just have his eyes tracking backward and forward watching this guy so the basically the setup of the shots and everything is just aligning itself with the Riddler. This is a marvelous shot as well. Murder weapon in the foreground faintly in the in the background they're all out of focus and blurred the the killer and the victim and then a big orange light in the middle just to get a good amount of reflection sort of on this blood and on the on the weapon and and then you know just sort of everything else a bit very deliberately put there but you know just sort of to fill the background uh does it need to do anything more than be an amazing shot i don't know but it's an amazing shot so so this is just getting into the establishing things now so there, there's a bit of a trend or a kind of like a roadmap for uh filmmaking when there's like a villain or um you know, even something bad like if it's I don't know, say it's a film about a zombie apocalypse. It's quite common that you would start with a scene about the villain or you know the zombie outbreak or whatever it might be, and then and then move away from that so that the audience is aware of what the threat and what the danger is first, and then you introduce you know the hero and everything, uh, and then you reintroduce the problem or the villain or whatever it is later on. So we had the Riddler doing his thing at the start. And now we're getting um, sort of establishing sequences where we're establishing the city of Gotham. So we have this like Times Square looking sort of layout here um, with Robert Pattinson's Batman narration over the top. So we're getting into the swing now of um, that side of things. I love this opening narration sequence. And one of the things that really stood out to me the first time I watched it was there's been, maybe this is the fourth, possibly the fifth time that, you know, the, the narration is talking about um, sort of inspiring fear into the criminals to sort of keep them in check because it's it's a big city and Batman can't be everywhere. But if the the threat of him being sort of omnipresent or lurking in every shadow is instilled in the criminals, then that will have a sort of like um, an effect on them and sort of reduce crime and things. It's um, basically the idea. So we keep getting these like shots zooming in or focusing on like dark shadowed areas um and it's it reminds me of like horror films or or even you know when you you I don't know you might be walking somewhere dark yourself and you like I don't know you see shapes in the shadows or shapes in the dark or something i, I really really liked it because it it yeah it just i don't know it sort of just puts you in that zone where you're like can i can i see batman hiding in that shadow is that oh it's is it just a shadow what what's lurking in there you know it's it really it it plays really well on on this sort of human subconscious of like you know either fearing the unknown or fearing the dark or whatever it is i i feel like i haven't really explained my point very well but i liked it it was good so like there his can this guy was spray painting and his can just rolled into the darkness and robert pattinson's voiceover says they think i'm hiding in the shadows and it's like yeah you do start to you know if this was you and you were like oh my god is someone in those shadows you know it's it's just really well done because every every batman movie has spoken about like the fear and i feel like tim burton's one in the 1989 one was like the first one to sort of lean into the idea that criminals really fear him uh, and this one's, like, getting back on that sort of thing of, like, putting it street level, you know, in, on a human-to-human basis, like, they are afraid of this guy. So this is the first time that we see Batman properly. He comes strutting out of the darkness, and all we hear is, like, footsteps. Like, these, this, the sound mixing in this film is awesome. So we hear, like, the footsteps, these big, heavy boot footsteps coming towards the camera. And then the... The theme tune slowly builds up so in this one it's like that ba, 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 ba. so that sort of like builds up and, and reaches like a, a sort of climax as he's revealed and then as he starts punching so like in in the you know at least to my understanding in the comics and stuff is like Batman is like physically a savage like just fucks people up (laughs) you know no mercy like he won't kill people but he will fuck you up like break bones knock out teeth he's not nice when it comes to fucking up criminals he doesn't mess around so when he starts punching this guy it's not just like bam 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 and the guy's knocked out it's like bam 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 like just goes ham on this dude so and there's no music to it there's nothing to butter it up or take away from or distract the audience sorry from the fact that he is like knocking seven shades of shit into this guy and every punch this is back to the sound mixing every punch is like a fat heavy subwoofer sounding like knockout blow and that that thug just take it just eats like 12 of them (laughs) so it's um straight away it's establishing what kind of Batman you're dealing with in this film, you know? who Who is he? What's his um, sort of like physical prowess? How mercilessly, how, how little mercy he has? How mercilessly he behaves? A sentence that says what I'm trying to say and you understand it with your mind. I forget this actor's name, but... I'm pretty sure it's the dude from Chernobyl who plays the miner, as in digs holes, not is a boy, because this is clearly our man. Uh, and he's in Andor as well, as one of the, um, like, uh, well, just some sort of imperial task force in, in one of the early episodes. Uh, I can't remember his name, but I, I've, I've seen him in this and the other two things, and he's always on point really really on point actor i think he's scottish but yeah he's he's a solid dude and just quickly wanted to say on this like um police investigation scene um it it really knows the sort of formula that it's going for to create this idea of this you know this is a moment of uh it's a crime scene and there's an investigation going on so at the start you have batman like walking through Uh, a corridor that's just full of police so straight away we're like oh okay police are in the area probably a crime scene uh and then when you get in there sorry sorry that was like an an establishing shot thing right which is important for any scene or film or whatever uh and so then when we get in the room there's a lot of like forensic scientists and stuff but they're not really the focal points this is again like what i was talking about the riddler at the start is Batman, Jim Gordon, they tend to be the focal points that, you know, the ones in focus literally or we're seeing everything from their perspective. So like the dead body that was killed in the opening scene, as Batman walks into the room, we kind of see it from his point of view. The camera pans around as if it's him walking into the room and into the space. Uh, A lot of the attention to any clues or things is either done with batman noticing it or from his perspective as opposed to it just being shown to the audience uh and then you know like catching a a glimpse of like batman looking over to it or whatever it's not it's all done from batman's perspective not here's a bunch of stuff in the room audience have a look at it you see what i mean if you don't understand the point i'm making (sighs) i'm too tired to (laughs) go into it more so there we go Quick shout-out to one of the greatest bands of all time, Nirvana, with their... with I said with their version. It's their song originally. Something in the way being used on the soundtrack to this film, used in this sort of scene or sequence of scenes just now. I love Nirvana. And if you don't, you're wrong. See, I, I'm pretty sure he's about to turn around to the camera and we'll see his face fully, but literally up until this point, we haven't seen... Um, Bruce Wayne we've only seen well we've seen him but we haven't seen him fully he's always been you know hidden like this so I'm I'm pretty sure the makers of this film set out to have like it be Batman as obviously the main character but like Batman is the sort of persona and Bruce Wayne is the cover-up right which sounds Stupid in a film called Batman. But basically when I'm pretty sure from the character point of view, and it's probably quite interesting for an actor to play as like the person Bruce Wayne has been his entire life, he's like that's his mask and, and his like fake identity now. The same way that like Superman's real identity is Superman and Clark Kent is a mask he puts on so that society you know that he can blend in. So in this case like Bruce Wayne probably has like shifted his psychology and his sense of identity into like fully embracing Batman as this like crime-stopping vigilante and then Bruce Wayne is just something he has to do every now and then that he'd rather not so the fact that we've as an audience so far in this film we've been given a good look at Batman And we've seen, you know, an evening in the life as opposed to a day in the life through his eyes. Uh, And Bruce Wayne's been hidden from us. so Because it's not the focal point and it's not sort of like as important, if you see what I mean. So it's quite an interesting um, approach to any sort of superhero movie. One of my absolute all-time favorite performers, be it for straight up acting, voiceover work, motion capture directing Andy goddamn motherfucking circus absolute king just wanted to say that and I love his portrayal of Alfred in this film and actually just on that point about um, Bruce Wayne sort of being the hidden one um, as soon as Andy Circus, as Alfred walks into the scene we you know we're presented with a wide of him and then a close-up of him you know he's straight away like bam audience have a good look at him and even still to this point every shot of Bruce Wayne it's never been a clear face it's either been profile or there's his emo fringes in his eyes he's still got fucked loads of eye makeup on so we're still not given a real crisp clear image of Bruce Wayne so again it's just playing on that he's not the focal point for the audience he's almost been forgotten about and pushed down by the very presence of batman there's always something great about using twins as something like bouncers or security it seems to be a bit of a trope like you got the twins in the matrix reloaded you got these two here there's a whole other bunch of other examples that i can't think of right now but it's effective i don't know why do you does your subconscious assume that there'd be more a more effective fighting partnership because they have like that twin telepathy, you know, where they could back each other up better, I don't know, but it's, uh, as tropes go, I like it, uh, there was also a shitload happened between then and now, like from the last time I commented on something to now, but it's a three hour movie, so I'm trying not to comment on everything, even though there's so many wonderful shots, so many great sound mixes, <laughs> so many great burps, yeah, but you know, we can't comment on all of it. Just doing this fight scene now, um where he's walking through the security, and one of the things I really like about this film is like the fight sequences all seem like uh well, the choreography and all and everything in them is is done to the where it all looks real and gritty, and it all looks like it's a struggle, you know he's not like some you know he's not like superman just strutting through laying waste to everybody he's some of it's actually a struggle you know he takes some lumps himself and he gets hit himself so he's not this indestructible god uh and then all the all the fighting it all seems like all the punches are really heavy and like okay i'm gonna say it i love the chris nolan trilogy but a lot of the fights apart from the batman bane fights a lot of the other fights the choreography leaves a lot to be desired you know I remember there's a scene I think it's in The Dark Knight where Batman's like walking through a club similar to this looking for Falcone similar to this and he just like he literally there's a point where he just has his hands up like this and just like spins around and people fall down it's like what it's just the choreography wasn't great whereas here I feel like you can see more of the moves it's just a it's just better. It's just better. I'm going to say it. It's better. The fight choreography in this film is better than most of the fight choreography in the Nolan's Batman movies. There you go. I said it. So we just had a couple of scenes with the penguin in and he's going to come back up later. So I could just say it later, but I really love Colin Farrell's performance as the penguin. He's, uh, you can tell he's having a lot of fun as that character. You know, I think I heard him say in an interview that like um, wearing all that prosthetic and stuff, you kind of get to like, hide you know like hide colin farrell from you know the audience and just kind of be the penguin uh and yeah you could just tell he's he's having an absolute blast you know he's got this great physicality to him he's got that great accent he's got all these like expressions and facial features that are like really sort of like emphasizing the kind of you know his the big crooked nose that they put on him like he does he like raises his lip and sort of squints his eyes and stuff like that like really makes his crooked noise stand out like a penguin he's great he's having a lot of fun with it these like close up shots of um Bruce Wayne doing his detective work like there was a lot of them in uh the the scene earlier on where he was in like the bat cave with Alfred and there's now doing them where he's like basically looking through binoculars at um Catwoman zoe Kravitz uh who's also great in this film everybody's great in this film. Uh, And I've realized as well with the shots of him looking through the binoculars is really similar to the shots of the Riddler looking through the binoculars at the start of the film, except this time it doesn't have the like creepy, heavy, heavy breathing that the Riddler did. Um, But yeah, I just really like these close up shots. Um, I'm assuming that they're using these close up shots of of him looking through these binoculars to sort of draw attention to um, how much attention he's paying or maybe just to they say eyes are the windows of the soul so maybe just to get into the window of what Bruce Wayne's thinking at this moment he's trying to figure it all out um or you know it just looks like an awesome shot you know the orange hue there the dark makeup on the eye the sort of blue white light of the I'm assuming that's like the moonlight it's just a awesomely detailed shot despite the fact it's Basically just someone's eye. Um, there's so many amazing shots in this film. I'm going to try not to talk about all of them, but some of them are just stunning. They don't even have to do a lot. They just Sometimes they just look good. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it by saying it's the window of the soul, but it just looks good. So the editing on this sequence is really good as well, because it's not wasting any time. You've got a lot of shots, you know, like, um, so this is, sorry, this is when Catwoman is like st- breaking into the safe of the mayor's house uh you know the mayor that died at the start uh there's a lot of real sort of quick cuts you know close-ups on the picture frame where she's figuring out how to open the picture frame to reveal the safe uh she like rolls her safe cracking gear out onto the deck and we see a shot as it rolls towards the camera um there's a quick close-up of her like setting up this apparatus she attaches the apparatus, she starts using the apparatus, and it's all cut together with these real quick, succinct shots that show that this character knows exactly what they're doing. They've done this a thousand times, you know, these sort of break-ins and robberies. She's lived it. It's it's her thing. Um, She's super efficient at it. But then also as well is it's not wasting any time, you know. It would be pointless for us to see a complete step-by-step of, like, going through every single motion of, you know setting up this piece of equipment and then using it it's a lot better just to get through it get it done quickly see what i mean there's just so many great shots in this film i'm not even going to talk about this sh- shot other than just point out to you that it's really cool like look at this shot we've got the cold light of the refrigerator with a cat in the foreground reminding us that this is Catwoman's apartment orange light orange light sort of showing the outside world but it's just the framing of it and everything i don't even know what it says you know storytelling wise or the point of it or anything it's just simple but awesome shot that's it so just quickly like so this is the scene where uh catwoman's in the club um you know she's walking through she's talking to that gill guy um played by Ah, uh, what's his face Ah, oh, he's a really good actor the bold guy Sorry, dude, can't remember your name. You're never going to hear this anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, and I just wanted to comment quickly about how, like, uh, lighting and everything is so important to distinguish uh, if different characters are in different scenes. So Batman's back in some sort of, like, safe house watching everything Catwoman's doing through the lens things that she has in her eyes that are, like, cameras so that he can see what she's seeing. Uh, So then... Obviously, it it sounds obvious to say, you know, what when you're watching the film, like, oh, Batman's in one place, she's in another place, etc. But the lighting of both places is, is so different. You know, look how Batman's lit now. In a minute, I'll try and pause it and find it when uh, Selena Carl slash Catwoman is lit. Uh, and it's important. The reason I bring this up, sorry, is because it's important to make sure that it's not confusing to the audience that they are definitely in separate places you know it's it's (laughs) i feel like i'm saying it out loud and it sounds like such a a repugnant point but you have to you have to draw these sort of (sighs) comparisons fuck this point i'm editing this whole thing out so then you look at like how selena's lit it's entirely different it's a lot darker um you know like everything around her is a lot darker um she was lit with sort of orange tones just then and now it's it's different it's a bit more like the club sort of lights showing on on her face but it it all looks distinctly different from where batman is See, like all this blue where batman's lit in a more warm hue right so this is after selena leaves the club and the da follows her out and now i'm going to talk about focus pulling which is something that doesn't get anywhere near enough credit in films. You know, you only tend to notice if the focus puller is doing a bad job when the subject that's meant to be in focus falls out of focus and everyone goes, ah, bad focus puller. Well, to be fair, filmmakers go, bad focus puller. Most people probably don't realize it, uh, notice it even. However, when they come out of the club, we see a shot from inside that car, which he established a minute ago is his car, uh, and it's from the riddler's perspective so we get that sort of like foggy tinge around the lens and we get his creepy sort of at this point trademark or signature heavy breathing with his like it's just weird uh anyway so we're we're aware that there's danger in there uh however in a minute the focus pulls from him to the car so the car becomes in focus and he falls out of focus and it it just emphasizes the idea that there is danger in there waiting for him. That that simple focus shift. Whereas if it stays like this, where that's not in focus, it's sort of a bit like, oh, he might be all right. But then with the shift, okay, it was hard to pause it because <laughs> it only stays in focus for a fraction of a second. But you can see it's coming more in focus now and he's out of focus. And then at the same time, it's matched with a a music cue. So the, the music starts to kick in with a creepy kind of almost choral thing. It's, it's happened a few times. The same musical, uh, what do you call it, overture? Song? <laughs> has happened um, a couple of times throughout the film anyway. And it's normally when there's a suggestion of the Riddler being creepy and violent and dangerous. So, yeah. Focus pulling, effective stuff. See, and now we're getting it from the riddler's perspective again, with the creepy breathing and all that. That is a great shot. That is a great shot. Does the red simplify? Simplify? Is simplify a word? Symbolize. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm so tired. Uh, does the red symbolize danger? I don't know does it look good yeah you know you got it reflecting off the curb and the thing there I don't know if they maybe would have put like some sort of stronger lamps underneath the car to shine out to get those effects a bit more or if it's genuinely just the taillights of that car Um, it's almost symmetrical you know like this beam here is there's like a shadow of a beam there you got the two sides of the car both reflecting on posts it's almost symmetrical and symmetry's always nice in film right so this is just after the riddlers like hit, hit him sort of semi-conscious then he can duct tape his mouth and put some sort of contraption around his neck but pretty much the whole sequence is done out of focus so is that their way of putting us in the da shoes of him sort of being semi-conscious and not quite with it so things are out of focus or is it just hiding, like not fully revealing to the audience what the Riddler's doing to him to create a, an element of sort of suspense and, and intrigue from the audience? Could be secret option number three that I haven't listed, but either way, it's cool filmmaking. Uh. Just a badass silhouette shot, like whole cityscape behind them. You know, that kind of like not quite Dawn... Uh, Skylight, I mean you know daylight kind of thing, silhouette Batman silhouette Gordon they've been established well enough, especially Gordon, that we can tell it's him through this silhouette uh it's just a glorious shot, really, really nice bit of filming. This is the first time we're an hour into the movie, and this is the first time we've seen clean cut, clear, not distorted Bruce Wayne, and by not distorted, I mean like the disheveled hair not covering his eyes, not the Batman panda makeup on his face, not, you know, sort of just a profile shot, just, bam, full-on Bruce Wayne, an hour in. It's like they don't care about the man. Uh, just to comment quickly on, um, like, things from a character point of view, just, like, layering in, part, you know, elements of the character arc and things. We just had a scene with um, Bruce and Alfred where he comments on like, yeah, he's not wearing his cufflinks. So he gives, Alfred gives Bruce his cufflinks and they have a W for Wayne on them. And he says like, oh, these were, your your father gave these to me and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it, and then, you know, Wayne sort of pauses, Bruce Wayne pauses and sort of like just looks at the cufflink for a bit and he doesn't need to say anything, you know, over or telegraph what he's doing. He just pauses and looks at it for a moment. And then as an audience member, I sort of read into that, that he's, you know, uh, processing or still processing or grieving the loss of his father and his mother. Um, But then also his identity, like he's moved so far away from being bruce wayne that that feels like a chore and like the mask he has to wear whereas he feels more aligned with batman and and that way of life so is, is it to me that scene is sort of like just commenting on like is he losing touch with his bruce wayne identity as well as you know grieving or maybe even this um this loss and movement away from his bruce wayne identity is well, I suppose, yeah, it is, a, is directly related to the grieving. Like, Batman is born of grief. So, this is his whole coping mechanism. Very psychologically damaged character. <laughs> See, the the sound again. The sound in this film is so good. It's doing something really interesting. So, this is the scene where I th- <clears throat> it's either the mayor or the commissioner or one of the Riddler's victims' public funeral. So, you know, all the sort of big cats are out there, all the fat cats. You know, Bruce Wayne, Falcone. <coughs> Sorry. Oh my God, what's wrong with my voice? Um. Anyway, yeah. Uh, God damn it. Bear with me. Okay. So. He Before Bruce goes to this, um, when he's talking to Alfred with the cufflinks, he says the reason that he's going is because killers will often want to see the uh, the sort of like the, the impact of. Of their murders, so it's highly likely that the Riddler's going to turn up here. So that's his motivation for going. So the audience has that in their mind, like ah, this could be a moment where the Riddler does something. So as Bruce is walking into this um, big cathedral place where the funeral is, uh, you know, there's there's the background noise of a lot of people, you know, mumbling and talking to each other and this, that, and the other pardon me but then there's every now and then you hear like a weird sort of strained breath or a weird exhale that turns into a cough just sort of breathing and, and breath noises similar to what we've come to understand is the Riddler's like like I said sort of trademark breathing except it's it's different enough that you're like okay this is just you know some random member of the public in this scene but it's it's close enough to it that you're like, Oh, is that the Riddler? Oh, no, it's not. So it just sort of keeps you on your toes, keeps you expecting that there's gonna be some sort of danger or or action, you know? It's a really, really cool use of sound. So this is after the car's just like just crashed through the funeral and well, crashed up there. Yep. I ran out of adjectives, all I have is crashed, okay? It crashed. <laughs> Anyway, um, we've had a few sort of still shots on the car and all the police have ran over pointing their guns at it going, get out of the car, get out of the car. And then we hear nothing from the car, just the like, tss, of all the sort of steam coming off the off the bonnet. Uh, and then the camera's slowly zooming in on the on the car itself, which just, just sort of amplifies the suspense of like, who's going to come out of the car? Or like, what's the situation going to be? Because bear in mind, the last... We The audience is pretty aware that it's not the Riddler because there's an exchange with a silhouetted, shadowy figure up on a balcony and Bruce Wayne looking up at them, suggesting that that's the Riddler up there. So we're pretty confident it's not going to be the Riddler coming out of the car. So who was the last person we saw in this car? It was um, Gil Colson, the the bald guy, whose name I've still forgotten. Very sorry. Great actor. Stoltz? Is it something Stoltz? Either way. Um, But that was when it was all... um out of focus. And he was putting that collar thing on him with the flashing lights. So we still, still don't know what it is. So now we're like, oh my God, what's it gonna be? What contraption did he put on him and that kind of stuff? So, you know, that slow tracking zoom in with this sort of like almost eerie silence other than the and the police putting in their guns and stuff is just building suspense. His name is Peter Sarsgaard. Oh, his name, his name is Peter Sarsgaard. He's an amazing actor, and I'm so annoyed at myself for forgetting his goddamn name, but his name is Peter Sarsgaard. And to make up for forgetting his name, let's go through some of his IMDb credits, shall we? You may know him from films like Garden State, which I have also reviewed on this podcast. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's Zach Braff's original, original? Is Zach Braff's directional, directorial, words, words and things. It's his directional debut. Go watch it, and then listen to the podcast. Okay. Um, I don't know what that was all about. I'm sorry. What else has he done? He's basically he's one of those actors that whatever he's in, he nails it. He's always great. He's always great. I think he's in Jarhead. I think Jarhead was the first thing I noticed him in. You know, you know what you see an actor, you're like, damn, they're good, and then you you notice them then in in other shit. I'm pretty sure Jarhead was the First one, please say he was in Jarhead or have I just done him a disservice again? Scrolling through his IMDb. I see no Jarhead. God damn it, who am I thinking of in Jarhead? That's it, forget it, we're moving on. Okay, either way, Peter, top lad, good work. This scene is interesting. So this is the scene where um, the Riddler's basically on the video call to both Batman and Colson Um, And initially when the Riddler's first revealed on screen, there's not any music, there's just the heavy breathing and it's very sort of tight and suspenseful between him and Batman. And then uh, when the Riddler sort of gets angry and flips and his attention goes to Colson, that eerie music comes in again, which is just sort of like that that music is always associated or always the sort of precursor to something bad happening. So it's upping that, you know, sort of (coughs) a... anticipation that something bad's going to happen again um just wanted to comment quickly though on dc villains um particularly post heath ledger's joker heath ledger's joker is a flawless performance it's fantastic we can wax lyrical all day long about how good that performance is Uh, my only sort of gripe is that since then it's nothing to do with heath ledger but since then It does seem to be that a lot of, like, DC villains are trying to do some sort of spin on that. Like, I'm not a fan of Jared Leto's Joker. I don't know if that's because of decisions he was making as a performer or the way he was directed or the structure of the film or whatever. It could be a whole facet of different reasons. It left something to be desired for me. Um... I really like what Paul Dano does for the most part with the Riddler. You know, the heavy breathing's really cool. His flip-outs into just, like, extreme aggression or putting a lot of strain on certain words because they, you know, maybe mean a lot to that character. Those are all quite interesting choices, but there's a few instances where he sort of shows a bit of, like, mania. You know, like a sort of manic craziness or uh, almost a kind of like cynical laughter um I don't know if they were scripted I don't know if he was directed that way I don't know if they were his own personal choices as a performer but they're a little bit too similar to the Joker uh so I find that a little bit of a shame because it Almost seems like there's a fear either amongst I don't know if it's Warner Brothers as a studio or any of the filmmakers or any of the actors. It almost seems like there's a fear to move too far away from The Joker because they know that The Joker attracts audiences, they know that The Joker sells tickets. So I don't, I don't know if it's that, but I was just hoping for maybe a little bit more originality, things moving away. I mean, I guess I again. I, without getting too much into like the comic book side of things and and you know ruffling the feathers of the the real hardcore comic book fans like i guess the only other example of the riddler in a film is jim carrey's riddler in the one of those batman movies is it batman and robin or batman forever it's batman forever that are pretty critically like panned um and he's a bit eccentric and and colorful like the Joker is so maybe the Riddler as a character is just somewhat similar to the Joker anyway but I would I don't know I just wanted a little bit more if you're not understanding the point I'm making fuck it (laughs) I know what I meant and hopefully you picked up on what I meant but you know characters like the penguin like you really got Colin Farrell just fucking having a whale of a time and his penguin is so different to Danny DeVito's penguin so we get enough of a um a scope, you know. There are limitations between what you can do with a certain character. So yeah, maybe the Riddler is a little bit too similar to the Joker, just in and of itself anyway. So it's hard to pull yourself completely away from it. But I don't know, yeah. I just feel like there's, there's too much of a sort of like... Anytime there's a crazy comic book character, it always seems like someone's trying to do some sort of Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger impression and it just... I just want a little bit more originality. Having said that, I love Paul Dano. He's an amazing actor. He's great in films like There Would Be Blood. He's great in this. But yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's the studio, the director, or him as an actor, or a combination of those things. There's just a few things he does that are a little bit too similar to a Joker. And I just wanted something different. There we go. I'm not going to labor that point anymore. I do have a minor issue with the explosion in the fact that Batman's head Was next to the bomb. And he just puts his arm in the way. And yeah his arm's got armour on it. Armour on his (laughs) armour. Filmic liberties. It's taken filmic liberties. I don't know if filmic's a word. Or filmic liberties as an expression. But I'm using it. They're bending the reality. I mean right. It's weird for me to take umbrage with that. When this is a film about a guy who dresses up as a bat, a woman who dresses up as a cat, a man who looks like a penguin, a guy who runs around with question marks on himself and calls himself the Riddler. There are other, you know, gripes I could take with this film. But I think that's one of my that's one of my preferred um, styles of uh, superhero movies is when they try and make it as realistic as possible, which for the most part this film does really well. However... The bomb blew up next to his chin. The only part of his face that isn't covered by Kevlar. And his chin's fine. That's such a great use of camera. So they've like rigged it to his back, essentially. Probably not Robert Pattinson, probably a stuntman. Uh, Or it's a CGI shot or whatever, but they've rigged it to his back. So then as he like falls forward off of the uh, building edge there, like we see the police like grabbing for him and then we just sort of follow him down all the way here really really cool shot it's not the first time they've done like some sort of ca- camera rig to the actor's uh body they did it when he was riding on a motorbike earlier uh but it's just badass and then look how awesomely symmetrical that shot is with you know with the sky and the lights it's just pristine filmmaking and then the kind of brutal crash landing he does uh you know after he crashes that squirrel suit (laughs) just reminds us again that he's not indestructible he is a human running around at night punching people in the face the sound as the batmobile revs up is so good we got all this like gunfire and tense music and things like penguin prowling around like there's this real nice like low camera angle on penguin there's this you know he's got a big frame this guy and he's like prowling towards the camera looking for Catwoman and Batman real nice and tense and then just this like scream this screechy scream of, of the engine revving up starts and then that big deep growl of the, like, of the engine like really coming into life starts and then the sort of like jet engine fire thing out the back the soundscape is just overwhelming and you're like you know if you're in Penguin's position you're like ah oh, crap what is that just wicked use of sound. And then on this car chase, there's a lot of angles like this, you know, where the camera is nice and low to the floor, you know, attached to the car, so we're sort of in the chase from the car's point of view or the driver's point of view. Um, But then as well, when camera angles are like, when when there's things like a car chase, I think I spoke about this in the drive uh, podcast that I did. But when the camera is low to the floor, we obviously see the sort of tarmac and things like moving through screen, quicker you know like if if the camera's sort of far away and the tarmac's moving it doesn't look as effective as when the camera's right next to the tarmac and the tarmac's moving across it just sort of creates that sense of like speed and you know that the, that the vehicle is is moving through space not spaces in stars but spaces in the space of the screen uh faster um it just puts you right there in the action and all these like orange hu- hued lights and stuff it's just this uh, the lighting and the cinematography combining is just just makes it awesome to watch. See, even shots like this, where we're not attached to the car, were you know sort of just outside of the car. It's still low to the tarmac, so we get that sense of movement and things. You can't tell me that's not glorious cinema. Look at that, the explosion. Hanging off the side of the car, with the reflection of the explosion in the bodywork of the car, the Batman belt flying through the explosion. Uh, I don't. I'm don't even need to say anything. Just ah. Uh, <sighs> I'm not even gonna say anything. I'm just gonna let you look at that for a minute. How fucking amazing is that shot? Fuck. I love this um little like just sort of mockery of the fact that he's a penguin like they got his feet handcuffed together or foot cuffed together sure why not so he has to like waddle like a penguin it's just funny so now they're like investigating the orphanage uh, and just doing a sort of little cheeky shot like this where it almost looks like someone's hiding from them you know like it's it's dirtied by like some sort of wall like there's someone hiding behind the wall peering over this banister looking down at them it just creates a sense of like i don't know some sort of sneakiness i don't know i feel like you know what i mean it's cool again just stunning stunning visuals that's it that's the comment symmetry awesome symmetry awesome shot that's it nothing else and then Same shot, but reversed, looking from Bruce Wayne's perspective. More symmetry, more awesomeness, more great cinematography. What is up? We are back. I had to do a little pause and (laughs) record this podcast in two parts, but through the magic of editing, you, the listener and or the viewer, won't know the difference. Except for the fact that I just told you what I'd done. Anyway... Let's carry on, shall we, with the Batman. Wow, I gotta say, I do not remember that part when I saw it in the cinema. Uh, that, that was just the part where uh, Catwoman plays a like phone recording of uh partner, the Russian Anika, I think her name was, being killed by like Falcone and his dudes. And I know that I went for a Wii at some point during this movie, which I'd never try and do. Yeah, when I'm in the cinema I always try and hold my Wii but I really had to go for a Wii and I'm going to keep saying Wii because it's childish and that's funny um, <laughs> so I may have missed this in the cinema but that was hard-hitting man um, you know you've got Zoe Kravitz bless her welling up in tears you've got um, what, Batman and um, Gordon they're sort of like processing what's being said but then the voice acting from the actress who plays Anika and Falcone on that voice recording is really really good because they're conveying you know when obviously this might sound stupid but I'm going to label the point anyway when you're only doing like some sort of voice acting or they're like a voiceover you have to make sure that you're conveying enough of the emotion and the intention and then enough um enough of all of that to sort of hit the right story beats or the right scenic beats you know uh, like so for example in that scene uh, he's Falcone is intimidating Anika and he's also creating like a false sense of security for her like it's okay we're not gonna hurt you and then they ultimately end up do hurting her so if you know the beats that the actors hit just with their voice alone aren't either conveying the right level of fear or the right level of you know like that false sense of security then the whole scene doesn't work but that that was really powerful i was actually sort of watching that just like oh shit this is really rough like i really feel for this girl and i really feel for selena carl catwoman having like lost a partner to such brutal thuggery it's good shit man good not good in the sense that you know, it's a horrible subject matter but good shit in the sense that it's really really good filmmaking really good filmmaking just want to comment quickly on the music uh that they're using in the background here uh it's, i'm pretty sure it's original score not like you know earlier when they used nirvana or anything um but he's basically revealing a lot of the important plot points you know the a lot of the sort of mystery behind who's the rat what Falcone's organization is doing the corruption with the mayor and everything like that so he's you know filling in a lot of pieces to the puzzle for Batman and Commissioner Gordon. He's not Commissioner yet. Detective Gordon, whatever rank he is at the moment. Um, <clears throat> And there's this sort of, there's this like, I think it must be like some sort of string instrument, but it's like, in the background. And then there's like a plucking of the string instrument, like bleep, bleep, bleep. Bleep, bleep. And it's like, it's creating and that's the deep sort of burner notes are sort of like keeping you unnerved and on edge and they're sort of dark in tone so you're like oh this is sinister this isn't good and then that kind of like plinky plonky picking of the string is more like it's 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 kind of like you know in a documentary when they have that plinky plonky sort of transitional music It's, it's a little bit like that but it's I don't know for me at least in in my head and When I hear it, it sort of, like, makes me think that um, we're investigating something, you know? We're finding something out. Like, when you're watching a documentary, you're you're learning things, you're finding things out. So, maybe it just has that sort of synonymous nature to it. Uh, It's really, I'm not a musician. Well, I play guitar, but I'm not, like, a musician, musician. I don't write music. So, I can't really talk about it in, um, you know, like... uh, actual <laughs> music language um, but like from a from the sort of filmmaking point of view it's, it's the perfect score over the top of it because it's not overly dramatic and bombastic and the sort of thing that you'd have when there's like an action sequence um, but it's just enough for you to know that there's the information you're learning is dark bad dangerous information there we go the score to this movie is really bloody good man just vibing into it now. Things are bigging up. Like catmon has got some shit to do. Batman's got some shit to do. Look at this shot. Tell me this isn't a gangster shot. It's so simple. You got the symmetry of the doorway. This dude's just open. It's in. We know it's in the club. It's like the third time we've had this situation where either Batman or Bruce Rain is Bruce Rain. <laughs> he's the weatherman, Bruce Wayne. Uh, when he's banging on the door, and one of the twins answers, and you know may or may not let him in the club. Or of forces way in, but we get the the red lamp light uh on the back of one of the twins, which instantly sort of is like danger we know we know that the club is full of gangsters and corruption, we know it's a terrible place, so the red light just reminds us that this is a dangerous establishment outside. We have the warmer street lamps, you know indicating outside is probably the safer place, just simple. But effective shot to straight away. Okay, bam, we're in a bad place again. So this is when stuff's kicking off in um, Falcone's place, whatever it is. And Catwoman is trying to kill Cal- Cal- kill Calcone? God damn it, kill Falcone! And she's fighting all his dudes. Now Batman's coming into play. This elevator's just come up, and there is all these goons waiting to attack it. And the music has gone from like the sort of you know the louder, bombastic sort of stuff when Catwoman's fighting, and now it's taken down, and not just like waiting for batman to strike so the the way the music comes down and like we have focusing on this elevator with all their guns pointing to it they're slowly moving towards it the camera's moving towards it all that camera work the the actors the lighting and the music is all creating this real palatable tension of like oh my god when's batman gonna come out and kick some ass this film is awesome like the the this fight sequence is great like there's no other lights apart from the lens flare of their guns, right, when they're shooting. So you just, it keeps basically, it's not cutting, but it just goes from like complete blackness and then light appears. We see Batman for like a split second beating the fuck out of somebody. Blackness goes to someone, like another light appears at a different part of this corridor. Batman's kicking the fuck out of somebody. And it's like such a good fight scene. But like really understanding the assignment as well in terms of... um Batman you know Batman lurks from the shadows and darkness so sometimes it's annoying in films when a fight scene or an action scene is hard to make out what's happening because they've like you know darkened it too much or or whatever and sometimes that's used to like mask some of the stunt work or some of the practical effects or something so that it's more deceptive to the audience you know like it it you know because in stunt work you'll be like pulling your punches not pulling your punches so you'll be like missing so instead of punching someone in the face you'll be punching like you know near their face in front of their face or something like that so sometimes in action sequences they'll deliberately make it harder to see or the camera will be a lot moving about the place or just the the lighting is a lot darker and things just so that it's harder to notice when it's, you know, stunt work or it's not actual fighting, that kind of thing. But that that's not what they're doing here. What they're doing here is having Batman be in his element. He is a prowler of the darkness. You think you are born in the darkness, molded by it. Or whatever that quote is by Bane in the other one. Um, But, yeah, so it's just this is Batman in his element as opposed to a way of getting around stunt work. Well, okay. that. That was a great head bounce off of a counter then. Zoe Kravitz is wicked. She's just wicked. I don't know if it was her doing her own stunts or if it was a stunt person, but it's good shit. Look at that expression, man. So all the pain of the loss of not only her mother, but her partner. And the need for justice. She's got Falcone right there in front of her. And she feels that she can finally get redemption or justice for, you know, her mother and her partner. And look at the pain and the sorrow and the anguish in her eyes. It's, dude, great acting, man. Well done, Zoe. This is a great little shot as well. It's sort of like a, um, not a pin drop, um, maybe a mic drop, some sort of drop drop the base uh <laughs> moment for falcon sort of realizing he's not as uh powerful and protected as he thought he was he thinks all oh, the police are under his thumb he comes out here and you've got this massive wide shot of you know dozens there are dozens of us dozens uh, <laughs> if anyone's ever watched arrested development that was for you um oh, i fucking distracted myself um yeah, dozens of, these poli- dozens of these police officers just waiting for him. Uh, and it's just a simple shot. The big, bright, lens-flary lights, sort of spotlights that police will use. Um, yeah, it's just nice. Your symmetry of the pillars. Good uh, arrangement. This would most likely be a first AD's job would be to sort of position all these extras and actors where they need to be on set and everything. Um, yeah, just, just a nicely laid out shot. That's it. Just want to shout out my boy, Ed Kerr. Used to work with this dude. He is salt of the earth, sound as a pound, really nice guy. You can catch him doing stand-up comedy around London. You can catch him in a bunch of different stuff, like uh, film and TV-wise. My boy, Ed, fucking great to see you in this movie, man. If you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price of your blind eye? Not being funny, that collar he's wearing definitely looks like he could just slip that up over his head. Dude, whose fucking neck is that for? Is <laughs> that for Brock Lesnar's neck? <laughs> what the fuck? Something really cool about what Paul Dano's doing with this scene. Uh, where, this is when he's in Arkham and he's talking to Batman, um, through like that protective prison glass thing. Every time he says Bruce Wayne to him, he's like. He's using it as a weapon. He's like using it to like twist the knife in him. He's like Bruce Wayne. He's like fucking stabbing him with it. Really cool choice. Instead of just being like Bruce Wayne. Or like even using it as like a taunt. Like I know your identity. He's not doing that. He's like I know your identity. I know your story. And fuck you. Stab. One of the things I really like about um, how they're doing the whole like thugs you know the henchmen of the Riddler. Is it that that's always kind of been like a a weird thing in uh, anything involving some sort of villain where they just seem to have like an, an endless supply of henchmen. <laughs> like they don't pay them any wages. It's just they'll like take bullets for the for the villain or whatever. It's just like, where do you find all these people? So they're actually kind of like addressing that in this film. They they have addressed it in other Batman films and t- stuff. But in this particular film, they're using like social media so it's topical for 2022 Uh, but they're using social media to like radicalize these uh these like-minded people um into violence and chaos uh so they're already aligned to the riddler's cause so then they're happy to like you know carry it out so at least they're giving the henchmen some sort of like um some sort of reality and believability other than just being like yeah they're they're bad guys (laughs) I can love that moment where Batman just takes a fucking... Sh- I, I'm assuming it's adrenaline. He just takes a shitload of adrenaline and then just, like, hulks out. It's like, ah, <laughs> and starts beating this dude to a pulp. <laughs> Man. Look at him all juiced up, all roided up. Look how awesome this shot is, right? I'm going to do this a lot for the rest of the movie because there are some fucking fantastic shots at the end of this movie. But obviously, Batman there, fully in color. And then all this like red and sort of blue electric behind him. Just just good shot, okay? That's all I'm going to say about it. It's just good shot. I did actually think um, that the first time I watched this that maybe they were going to kill him off. You know? I thought it would be very bold, very brave to do, and very un-Hollywood because they always want to make a sequel. But yeah, I kind of thought maybe... Maybe they would. It's the most convinced I've ever been that a Batman was dead, apart from Chris Nolan's one, um, the end of the third one. Spoiler alert. Where they make you think that he's dead, and then it turns out he's not dead. He should have stayed dead. That's, that's the biggest issue I have with Nolan's trilogy, is that he should have stayed dead at the end. The Bat Flare. He had a flare on him. The Bat Flare. This this is my favorite shot in the entire movie. I'm a sucker for, like, red lighting and, you know, this kind of setup where, you know, it's it's sort of one source of light and stuff. But symbolically, it might be a little bit on the nose, but it's literally Batman leading the people of Gotham to safety. But just look at that for a shot. The setup of it, like, this bird's-eye view, Batman in the middle of the frame with the source of light, and then the way the red just casts... Shadows over loads of stuff. It's just that's glorious cinematography right there, my dudes. Glorious cinematography. Favorite shot in the whole movie. I don't even un- unpack it for you. Just, just take a minute. Do yourself a favor. Just take a minute. Take it in, like watching a sunset. Look at it, though. Come on. No, oh, he's a little doggy. That's a wicked shot as well. Penguin doing penguin things. Just you know, brooding. Building at the sunset. Look at that sunset. We ain't never set no sun like set sun sun. Just doing his thing. But yeah, just a great job. Who I don't care if that's a CGI set of buildings and sunsets or whatever. It's fucking good. And it's symmetrical. Also, shout out to her. What's her real name? But if you look on her IMDB. Oh man, I had it open and now I closed it. Um, this is like the second film she's done, dude, she's, like, not to insult her, she doesn't have, probably got better, definitely got better i n b p credits than I do, but she doesn't have a lot, there's, like, nothing on there, really, and this is, like, her second, uh, Jamie Lawson, or, well, I think that's how you say her name, J-A-Y-M-E, Jame, Jamie, I don't know, Lawson, um, yeah, dude, oh, she's gonna be a woman king, Sweet, I want to see that movie. That that looks like a good film, doesn't it? Uh, But yeah, dude, first film, Farewell Amor, whatever that is. I've never heard of it, never seen it. Second second fucking IMDb credit is The Batman, where she plays the Gotham's new mayor. Fair play. Coming into Hollywood hot, just chopping off heads. (laughs) That's a badass shot. Um... It's in his cell, so obviously, you know, it's we get the the, the bars in the window at the back, but then obviously like these sort of bars in the front. Um maybe they're silhouetting him to show that he's in darkness in a, a mental state, but then also, you know, he's locked in a cell, so that's pretty dark. Uh, but it's just a cool ass shot. Just wanna quickly point out that from like a kind of um a a character perspective in terms of the character relationship, sorry. Uh this is the most i've ever cared about a Batman Catwoman like relationship. Like don't get me wrong I'm not insulting the Michael Keaton um is it Michelle Pfeiffer? I think it was. In Batman Returns, the Tim Burton one. Uh, and you know again not insulting um the Chris Nolan one with Christian Bale and Anne Hathaway. Great dynamics and everything um but this is the most I've wanted their sort of relationship to succeed (laughs) and the saddest I am that it sort of doesn't at least in at the end of this film um yeah I feel like it was the it was the most sort of maybe not even fleshed out in terms of like them caring about each other but definitely the most I felt that the actors performances weren't afraid to sort of show that they that their character cares about the other character you know Um, like in maybe in the in the Batman Returns one I remember there being a lot of like more sort of like sexual energy between them and yeah there's some deep sort of relationship stuff in the Chris Nolan one Um, but yeah this one it does seem deeper somehow I haven't really thought about how to unpack that or explain my point more so fuck it and then this little bike Sort of, what do you call it? It's not a montage or a, a vignette or whatever. Um, but you know, they're sort of not racing together, but sort of like playing on their bikes together. And I think eventually they end up driving off into different ways. It's, yeah, it's very, um, very sentimental and very sort of, uh, it's like a bittersweet departure between them. Yeah. Okay, I ship this relationship. I want this relationship to work, but at least as far as this film's concerned. Not now, maybe in the sequel. See, and then they go different ways, and it's sad. Driving off different ways, different directions, different life callings. But, you know, it's one of those things that, like, maybe in another life that would have worked. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it got me in the feels. All right, I'm cooling it there because this is already going to be, like, the longest pod I've ever done. Um, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Uh... Well, that sounded a bit Donald Trump. Though. I love this movie. It's a great movie. uh <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's that. um hope you like the pod. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and all that. Shit. Yep.